0: I'm Cape, and I'm Drew, we're just two former student-athletes who understand the game, not just on the court, but in life, at the end of the day, we just want to help, today's athletes and former just trying to find their way, it's bigger than sports, this This is is the Cape Cape and Drew podcast, the real TikTok. What's up everybody, I'm Cape, I'm Drew. Man, today we got a special special guest. Uh first off, what episode are we on drew? Episode 17. Yeah, 17. Yeah, we got a very very special guest, man, a, a guy, a gentleman that um means the world to me. He uh I met him very randomly in 2014 uh just walking across campus one day and ran into him and we had a great conversation and uh You know, didn't know at the time, but I didn't know how close we would become over the next three to four years. And um, he actually became my dissertation chair. And uh, we spent a lot of time together. I bugged the hell out of him for for three and a half years. Um, Calling him, texting him, spending three, four, five, six hours at a time in his office. And, um, you know, he was just a pleasure to be on. And, And along the way, we actually became really close um but he he saw me through my doctoral program and um you know i i definitely would not i'd probably still be writing or still be researching or whatever if it hadn't been for this man so you know uh he he's definitely family and and i'm so glad that he's able to join us we we are in for a treat i'm just going to say say that right now because he's about to drop some gems on us without further ado dr norm moffett how you doing today man
1: what's happening i am here i am here how are you all
0: we are good cannot complain at all just uh, we appreciate you being on the show i know i know it's it's been a long time coming i know we talked about this i know my dissertation was we kind of talked about this not necessarily a pod but just talked about the different platforms that we could use to spread light on this much-needed topic and um now we're here Two about a year or two years later, now, now we're here, so uh, it kind of just
1: came, came into fruition. Well, you've been on uh, you um, I still will call you if it's okay. Um, Drew, I have not been given the opportunity to provide you with a pseudonym from an NBA player, but mm-hmm. I think for the record, I should say, you are still the Russell West of, uh, of Dr that bit be <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I appreciate that. I think I talked about that on the earlier episode we had about you and how you gave me that name. And um, at the time, I really didn't. I mean, Russell West was great and all that, but I just didn't care for that. And, I, and then you broke it down for me. And I was like, okay, I, I, rock, I rock with Russell West, but he is tenacious. I rock with that. <laughs> um, but, but like I said, man, we appreciate you being on the show. We're just going to get right into it. The first thing we'd like to ask all our guests I mean, these are crazy times right now. And so just overall, how are you doing, you know, health wise, you know, COVID is going on and, and just everything is going on in the world. How how are you doing right now?
1: Well, I share this with you two brothers, if I can be so colloquial, um, there are two things. Number one, I'm thankful. Number two, I'm prayerful. Number three, I'm still running. As the steel image should show that um, I will release this, COVID beard in a moment, but literally speaking, if it was not for my passion for jogging at this stage in life, I'm close to being in that risk category. hadn't quite reached that decade yet, but I'm close enough where I'm very glad that my commitment to running is such that it has helped me to feel as though I may be in a decent position to deal with it or other illnesses because of that. And then last but not least, I'm still unconditionally, undeniably a vegan. Um, And as I read about and hear about the number of cases coming out of people working in in meat plant processing places, I'm even more committed to being a vegan. And last but not least, something that your cohort and others may have actually laughed about, laughed at me about. I've had one who have come behind you, who's come behind you, said, ask me the question, uh, Dr. Muffin, why are you always wearing gloves? Because, hey, uh, hell, I don't like putting my hands on any and everything. <laughs> so now, no one's laughing at me anymore about me and my gloves, if you
0: remember. I remember that and I was I never asked you about it but I you know I was I was just as picking your brain about other stuff so yeah. that makes sense yeah
1: but that's it really it's, its it's trying to remain healthy and keep a regiment that you cannot literally call for um, what can happen and how it would affect different people if you listen to different Um, experts, quote unquote, and and broadcast, but I do know that once compromised immunity will affect you with any type of condition. But the last thing to that point about COVID-19, Dr. Capel, is my last actual presence in a large crowd was the Olympic marathon weekend in Atlanta. I ran the half marathon in that large crowd. And I started counting 14 days after that. But literally speaking, I was at the Hawks game the night, the last night they played when it was announced that the NBA was going to shut down. Wow. Yeah. So that's my COVID-19 story.
2: Gotcha. Well, I'm glad you're all right, man. We've we kind of been trying to stick the regiments ourselves to keep from going kind of crazy. Um, but it's, it's, you know, we've been making it uh, every day. It's kind of a different day, different feeling. It can, it can be great or it can be pretty bad, but we have little things that kind of really keep us going. But uh, how did you kind of, you know, get your start within higher education?
1: Wow. Well, the, 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 sh- the real short and most emphatic story about that comes with um, my father and my mother and mainly my father was a World War II era veteran who was who actually was born and and raised in his early life in the free state of Jones area of the state of Mississippi and he went off to World War II he was not able to finish high school and he um, literally came back and was put to through what so many black men were put through in the 1940s. And he took my mother and they went cross country with the Green Book as it was in those days. And literally, because he was literally, as so many stories of black men happen, he he was not able to get an education, but he had the GI Bill. So he moved to, to California. So that's why I use the term I'm a Calisipian because I'm born of Mississippi parents who, was born in California yeah. and he always had this part of him that people thought he was so wise that they thought he was really college educated he went back and got a the- theology um um certi- certificate but my the fact that my father did not get an education was the main reason why I was he was always putting books in front of me and as a kid people would call me some people would, would call me professor. <laughs> so that's literally how it began. It germinated from my father through early life of literally by the time I think I was 12, I had gone through the encyclopedia, um, World Book Encyclopedias A through Z. He put encyclopedias in front of me by the time I first started reading. Wow that was the that literally i have to start there that's how now the factual way i got in was i had dreads as a public school teacher mm-hmm. and drew the interesting thing about that in that day in the particularly in the early 90s if you had dreads there were two stereotypes of you as a black man you mm-hmm. you had to either be rasta or you sold drugs mm-hmm. um, so What happened was I had gotten my master's degree in school administration, and there were people who had asked me to apply for my doctoral degree because they said you would never be able to get a principalship with those dreads. Mm. That's real. (laughs) Literally speaking, I was interviewed for a principalship as a finalist. Now this is the literal factual reason I finally decided to go and get the doctorate. I was told by a mentor, Dr. Pearly Craft Dove, you need to be in higher education to teach the very ones who are supposed to be over education. So I chose educational leadership after the last time I was interviewed for a position as a principal and asked, how connected was I to my hair? I said, as connected as you are to yours. So it was on that day that I decided to apply for a doctoral program. So what started out as keeping me out of a principalship caused me to finally go back and get my doctorate. Gotcha. The rest is history. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, and not a lot has changed uh, with the whole dreads thing you mentioned. Um, Wow, I still, still see that, and I know we're gonna kind of talk about imagery and and all of that probably later on. But you know, it's that's still a that's still a key factor. I mean, and, and even with with my my beard, and I know we we joke about the beard. You showed me an old picture when you had the dreads and the beard, and I and I think I've heard that story before. But you know, it's amazing how we kind of have to you know, change our image, you know, even when I, before I started working at my university now, I remember contemplating before I went on the interview, should I cut my beard off or down or whatever? And I always thought, you know, now I agree, you know, you get the job, you, you do what you want to do. As long as you do your work, it's all good. But, um, you know, I always wanted to do, do, do my Caucasian friends ever think about such things uh, or have to deal with such things. And um, you know, I doubt it, but... Uh, it has I mean, been my
1: historical experience that, that it is as pressing why a black man can be viewed as threatening with the beard is, has always been a mystery to me in my lifetime.
0: Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, you know, back in the day, as you know, you always taught me about history and whatnot. Kings and, and, and generals and, and, you know, great leaders, uh, a beard symbolized strength and power. Uh, exactly. So I wonder where, where in history, we got away from that to being a clean cut somehow makes you smarter and more approachable and, and less intimidating. Uh, but I'm sure you could probably tell us about that more than I, more than I know, but it's, it's interesting how it's the narrative shift. but now beards are more acceptable. I, I will admit that. I think they're more acceptable these days for sure.
1: Well, it's great to see how you all have rocked yours. Um, even I follow you on, the, um, on your podcast and also with your posting on LinkedIn. I'm very proud, and I, I did not say this from the beginning. I am so proud of you all um, for not only who you are, but what you're representing for our community. And um, it's, it means more to me, as you know, Julian, than I know. And Drew, man, listen, I heard of you before I knew of you. and um, you you, everything that I was told you were and I appreciate what y'all are doing sir we appreciate
0: you man so um you know you're a former athlete yourself uh and you're currently a tenured professor I swear man you're my hero but you're currently a tenured professor and you were a faculty athletics representative what was what was that like working with student athletes and coaches I know we've had conversations but What was that like working with athletes and and coaches and administrators
1: when you were in that role? Wow. I think it should be noted that that the most important experience for me was the fact that I appreciated that the president of the university at the time and the athletic director, who, by the way, at the time, was an extraordinarily progressive black woman, um, actually felt like because of my relationship with with athletes. In fact, one of the athletes who was an education major that was like a mentee of mine, he was an early childhood education major, was the um, leading scorer and top athlete on the basketball team. And I was, I had, actually being one of those who always went to the games and it was it was one of the situations where i believe that the fact that i understood athletics had been a track athlete in high where i been a track athlete actually at the very college where i where i worked when undergrad the now clark atlanta university to have actually been um an athlete there having played baseball. Baseball was probably the sport that I think I was probably the best at. And then I played adult softball, but, but my passion was always running. So working with athletes and athletes know that you are athletic. And I coached high school and middle school during my P12 teaching career. I never lost that passion for athletics. And I think the president who, in most settings has the authority in consultation with the athletic director and those around him to determine who should be the FAR. And I'm very comfortable saying that I feel like their decision to ask me to serve in that role came because I authentically identified with student athletics and having lived through the experience of managing it, even though I was a teacher education major. So that working with the coaches now was the important thing to me because you know coaches, <laughs> you've been coaches. I get the impression, and it may be a good one, that coaches appreciate better if you can talk their sport. And I think that's probably true of, of most, most of the um, occupations in life when you have had the experience you can have the communication. I think when I walked into the role, most people saw me other than maybe the um, SIAC, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me shouting out his name, David Brown, he won the MVP. um, The year that um, CAU won the SIAC championship, I was literally there then. And um, I can say without question that your question to me, makes me think about the fact that being a faculty athletic representative in my humble view is probably one of the most important roles that a student athlete should be taught about before they even get to college Mm. i think part of recruiting student athletes that the student athlete should know of within whatever the confines of the slave master the ncaa rules are that the excuse me for saying that but (laughs) but it's you'll say it's a plantation and even though even if it is trying to be more progressive that faculty athletic um representative is supposed to be a faculty member and i think when that faculty member is known by student athletes as being one of them being a faculty member who can advocate with and for them and they can go through I think it's powerful. I have asked athletes, "How well did you know your far?" Probably a good question to ask you all. Did you know? Did you know more than ceremonially who your far was?
0: No, I, I didn't even know what that was, Drew. Did you know?
2: Nah, I had no idea. I I used to, go to my own classes, <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. which is interesting, Drew. I'm glad you shared that because to the point I think the most authentic way to answer the question is to ask the question to you all as big student athletes, if, if the role of the FAR, even if you look up the literal definition of how, what the responsibilities of a FAR is, one of the things that I think should not be taken for granted is that a FAR at his or her best, in my view, he knows what the rules of the plantation are but he or she should be someone who literally cares about the student athlete and the student athlete's enormous responsibility being both student and athlete. And that's why I don't think it should be a political position. I think it should be a position that that a president, where I thought I had a visionary president in Dr. Carlton Brown at that time, who I believe saw in me as well as the um, as well as the athletic director, that I was pro—I was pro athlete as a professor, and I was pro athlete having formerly um, being one. So that's the experience. I just think that students, in my view, need to truly be educated on what a far's role and responsibility is.
2: Now, kind of with you got your student athletes and, man, like I feel like now is the time where really student athletes are really kind of, they have the perfect, uh, what you could say, you know, the the balls in their court. They got the upper hand as far as making demands, like demanding for change. Like, yo, they're saying, hey, we want this stuff changed before we come back. And I was talking to my wife earlier that she was like, you know, why don't you know the NBA just say they're not you know come back unless that that chance? I was like, well, no, 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 they're gonna lose money. But the college right. is they, can actually, they can actually they could change some stuff. And Thank so, you. just from the beginning of it all, how did you kind of, you know, what were your initial thoughts when you saw like the George Floyd and everything that kind of followed worldwide? Like how did that kind of like impact you or your initial
1: thoughts? Well, being a black man born the 1960s, and having parents who were older, World War II era. I was a late child by by those standards. Um, You you know, I, I had the stories of family members who left the South going West, North, and Northeast, just so they would not get lynched. So the very first image, brother, that I had I saw an image that I sent you all, and if you were to put, I think to capture it, I saw the image of the pictures of white people at the foot of the tree Mm -hmm. watching black men being lynched and celebrating or quietly observing it as though it was a picture show. That's what I saw in my head, while my heart was aching, watching the image of that officer's foot on the neck of George Floyd, that's literally what I saw. The downside um, gentlemen of being a history major is that you're forever aware but but forever reminded of sorrows and joys, so I cannot lie to you and tell you that I thought of lynching immediately because the imagery to me was, was so brazen of just how as um, Dave Lapel does in 846, 8 minutes and 46 seconds. Right. Now, I don't know if in recorded history um, there has ever been anyone to write about how many minutes it takes for a man or woman, because there have been Black women lynched in the history of this country, too. Right. How many minutes it takes for a neck to be hung from a tree and for it to finally c- collapse. But the image of George Floyd on that ground Reminded me of lynching, and I would be lying if I didn't tell you truthfully that's the image that was in my head.
0: Yeah, I think I think for me and Drew, and I mean, I it was it was it was almost like I know the first time I saw it, it was almost like I couldn't believe it, like I was shocked. You know what I mean? Like the whole picture mm-hmm. of it. And I know the image, I, you know, you know my dad very well, Dada Mavi. You know, mm-hmm. he's taught me and showed me, you know, all of those things that you mentioned, but you know, I'm just looking at it like it's 2020, the image of it, you almost can't believe it. But then you start looking at the big picture, how the other cops didn't do anything, you know, they were just they just, they were just doing their job. And um, at the time, their job was to just stick to the script. They weren't. and, And the question is, you know, did they even consider at any point, did it even come across their brain that this isn't right? Let me help this, let me, let me get my colleague, let me correct him in this sense. And that's the question, I think that's gonna be the big question as they go to trial. You know, what was going through their head um, that they didn't see the need to step in? And that's the part because at the end of the day, he shouldn't have died he you know we're talking about a twenty dollar bill counterfeit twenty dollar bill allegedly Mm
2: -hmm. uh emphasis
0: word allegedly emphasis you you taught me that very well to to, i mean and and that's the part that is so you know terrifying uh that they just decided in that moment to take that kind of action and um you know he just doesn't you know, he not he didn't deserve that. And and Brianna Taylor didn't deserve that. Ahmad Arbery, and we were kind of talking about Ahmad Arbory before we before we got on uh, you know started recording. You know, kind of tell the audience what you were saying about Ahmad and, and why that why that hit home for you.
1: Well, that's why I'm willing to show for a brief moment my COVID nineteen um, beard. Um, <laughs> to that for me, the Ahmad Arbery, one hurt deeply. Um, Number one, I had, obviously, when it came out, (laughs) the time it took for it to come out. But just in the month of March, the first, you know, March 1st and 2nd, the the Olympic trials for the marathon were held. Mm -hmm. And the Atlanta Track Club and its sponsors hosted the, Atlanta half marathon um, and marathon. And I ran in the half, which, as I shared with you, was the last, um, I would say, major crowd event other than the last basketball game um, that was held at um, the arena when the Hawks played. And it was announced that I believe at that game um, that there was going to be a um, is suspension of the season. But because I'm a runner, I keep with my classes as well as um, with even with my personal Zooms, I showed this and I have to keep this because when that happened and I saw the image of him jogging and even understanding as a jogger, and um, Dr. Cape, you know this better than Brother Drew does, that I would run all over the area we used to both um, live and work in, and I think about the fact that there are little things that, because of my age in life, I know to do that he should. You shouldn't have to do. So, for example, when I looked at the images that have been released of him, and that a as a person who loves jogging, it it burnt my soul because this was a young brother jogging. And you, you know the rap on that. <laughs> but the ideal that, okay, I, I'm only offering you my hypothesis that more than likely when he strayed off the road, he does what so many of us do when we jog outside of our immediate necessary neighborhood and we may have to use the bathroom Mm. You can't always predict that, I'm, again, this is my supposition. I have no evidence because that brother is not around to say why he's straight off the road and was finding a place. I know if you would ask most joggers, probably even yourself, that if you're going on a long run particularly, you can't always predict if you are going to have to use the bathroom. So that's the first thing I thought about. Mm-hmm. And I think about the fact that even when I participated, participated in road races, how there's a reason why every so many miles you have those those portable <laughs> those portable bathrooms for people to stop. Yeah. I've tried to my goal is always one, finish the race, especially if it's if it's a half marathon. Finish the race and try not to have to use the bathroom. <laughs>
0: yes. if, if
1: that makes any sense, mm-hmm. so that would hurt me deeply because, just to be honest with you all, when when you know how committed I am to at wherever I am in this stage of life, or how committed I am to the running and the tr- and the running on my schedule, but the part of it that I First and foremost, want every black person to think about whether you are a jogger or not, is the idea of what it feels like when you are ready to go jog. And you might be, say, for example, jogging outside of the comfort zone of where people may know you. Versus whether or not you're jogging just within a confined circle where people do know you. And if you happen to live in a neighborhood where if you're doing a five miler and you want to go two and a half miles out and two and a half miles back, you shouldn't have to be thinking about, okay, am I going to pass a place where I may be viewed as threatening? Last little point on on why Ahmad Arbery's situation is so painful to me. One of the reasons I tell people I don't I will not um, color my beard is this is this is a true fact, Drew and Kate. I have seen in my lifetime, being a jogger, how less threatening I seem to appear when I jog up on someone is. Especially when I'm out of town jogging. And I'm at a, at a conference or something, and I'm jogging at a hotel. And I come out and I ask, where's a safe place to jog? I want to get this many miles in. And I come up on someone, and especially if it is a white person, and they see me, I A, make sure I have on jogging clothes that authentically look like jogging clothes. B, I've noticed as the beard has gotten more salt than pepper, That The closer I get to someone and they see that I have a white beard, my subconscious mind, the observer in me, the researcher in me, I'm looking, oh my gosh, they don't feel threatened. Or they don't appear to have the same level of, of imagery that gives the impression that they are threatened as when I was younger and my beard was all black or when I had the dreads. I have seen that in my lifetime. So you have to ask yourself a question. Why should you, as a young black man with a beard, have to wonder, not whether or not it's a safe location because there are sidewalks or places where there is, it's running friendly, but whether or not if you happen to be running in a particular neighborhood or your neighborhood is close to another, that you are going to be viewed as a threat. Mm. That's why it bothered me right. deep. I know it was more than you asked for, but that's a, his, that's oh. a f- I've seen in my lifetime.
0: Yeah. It, it bothered myself and drew too. And, and like I told you, uh, and I've said it only, I won't spend too much time on it. I did the same thing. I, I ordered running gear, man. We, we, we form a hoopers. I ain't got no running gear. I got, I got basketball shorts and some dry fits, but I went on Amazon and typed in running gear. And I ordered yeah. some shin guards and some, you know, whatever them things are called, and some little shorts. You know, I started thinking about you how you had like the fanny pack on sometimes. Oh, yeah. so, oh, yeah. so I ordered one of those and got the hat and all of that, man. Because my beard don't got no salt in it right now. So yeah. I got a, I got a, I got a couple more years before that, or maybe maybe not. But you know, I just you know better safe than sorry. Because at the end of the day. We, we just all trying to get back home, man. That's, that's yes. all we're trying to do. Yes.
1: And brothers make sure you have an app. Um, I'm pretty sure you do as we mentioned off the, um, recorded episode, mm-hmm. but I particularly am suggesting that you very much consider making sure you have an app that has the tracking. Remember how yep. when I used to run at night, I would you would track me. Oh, um, you'd have to tell Drew about the, the neighborhood I would run <laughs> I'd be worried,
0: man. I you was running off the Merck. <laughs> <Yeah. Yeah. laughs> I said, man, had me up late night making sure you got home yeah. Um, yeah. But uh yeah, man. So you know, I, I know we kind of talked over the past couple of weeks that you were that you really wanted to drop some knowledge about some good things and specifically some suggestions you may have for athletes who for athletes. continue to be the forefront of the social justice movement. Obviously you see, you know, athletes coming out and using their platforms and social media and, and their voices just to, you know, promote change. And, and the person that sticks out to me the most is former student athlete, former athlete, uh, Steven Jackson. Um, and yeah. recently uh, Kyrie Irving has come out and said some things. So. What strategic priorities do, do they need to keep in mind? And what suggestions do you have?
1: Well, I'm going to come at this from, from, from both Brother Noren's standpoint more so than, than the professor, because I want to keep it real. First and foremost, you, it's hard to separate your reality, whether it's in pain or pleasure, from the reality. Because we all have to live through those realities. And when I say that, I'll break it down this way. Number one, I love that brother, Stephen Jackson. Mm-hmm. I loved him from the time that he took up for his, his brother at the palace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I, that's how far I go back with love. Because what I saw in him is what has always meant something to me and the people in, in my life that we going to ride with you if we with you. So but there was always something about him that I thought was beautiful in his soul. And being a teacher and ed- from you know as you know I started P12 and I've gone all the way up. In fact, Drew, I actually started as a school bus driver when I came out of the military. So literally there's When I look at brothers who are student athletes, I see them not from the lens usually of the typical, as one would call it, professors, because I've lived in the the hood and worked through it to where I am now as a tenured professor. So I have to start with my roots and my family. So I see him and I see Kyrie, and I love their soul and their being soldiers. What I will say that I've heard Shannon Sharp say on a number of occasions in his undisputed debates that I thought I think is interesting because we say that in history too, more than one thing can be right. Mm. Okay. I do not believe number one, that the systemic racism that makes student athletes who become professional athletes the potential for them to make a living a should not prevent them from having a voice as we are seeing more and more today but b i think that the alliances that they have should be across multiple dimensions so there should be people who are community activists they should there should be people who are just like me, who are just professors who have never tried to have fame or fortune or teachers who we all can remember that you said, hey, I'll never forget you, who are going to say truthfully, this is what I believe and here are the pitfalls. So here to me is the pitfall of of the deliberation or the discussion over to play or not to play. Number one, the people who own the teams are going to still be paid. Right. Okay? Yeah. Billionaires are still going to be billionaires, Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, the NBA in particular, I believe, no disrespect to the other major sports where there are brothers and sisters playing, are progressive whites and, and Latino brothers and sisters. It is more important to me that... The people who are going to play use the opportunity to make their voices known during, before, and after play than anything else other than, simultaneously, those who say, I'm not going to play. The cameras, we should make sure and demand that their voices are continually heard so there is not a divide and conquer. And if there's one other message that you young brothers can pass out is we cannot let a modern day version of Pro happen in our community. Uh. Say that again. We cannot let a, a modern day version of it happen. And what I mean by a modern day version is this. Just like the image of someone jogging in a road race suggests that they're amongst people from all walks of life, there will be people from all walks of life who may not ever think twice about the cause unless they're seeing a brother who they don't expect to do anything but shut up and dribble, a pass, throw, a catch, a run, speak out and say, these are the causes that affected black people since the first time a ship landed and we were captured and enslaved. So I believe that both positions deserve merit, but strategically as a people, we cannot allow the chatter of other folks saying you should or you shouldn't get in the way of the reality that the other folks are going to make money whether they play or not that's That's my position. I hope I could articulate it in a way where I'm saying, I believe those brothers should be supported, who do, and I believe those brothers and sisters who and and I, I have to give a shout out to these two these two sisters, and there may be others since the last time I checked. Renee Montgomery and Maya Moore. Cannot I lead those sisters out? I right. call them the the Sojourner troops or Harriet Tubman's of your generation that's right
0: because Maya Moore, you know she took a year off or whatever some time off to focus
1: on social injustices right exactly, exactly. see that should be that should be communicated heck if you ask me here's what here, here's what i'm talking about using this as an opportunity i think the brothers ought to ought to even consider i heard that chris paul or some others are, are talking about different ways they can strategically during the time that they're in the bubble and the games will be shown send send messages to keep it keep the incentive of recognizing visualizing, and communicating the importance of the struggle at the forefront of sports. But I think a couple of the images ought to be an image of Harriet Tubman with in the middle and Maya Moore and renee Maya Moore and Renee Montgomery on each side because what that would do to a kid is They'll look at that image and they'll say, who are these sisters? Because for those black women in particular to make that position known and to take that position, we'd have to honor them Mm -hmm. as well as I believe to keep them from dividing and conquering those who are opposed to real systematic change and oppression the most important strategic priority I believe that we should make sure of is that the divide and conquer, we don't even entertain the debate whether you should or you shouldn't. It should be because you are and because you aren't, what are you gonna do? Mm. So you change the narrative, you know, just like your dissertation, you change the narrative. You did a dissertation where the entire methodology was unlike anyone that had ever been done. You now have a brand that says before eligibility, BE, during eligibility, DE, after eligibility, AE. What does that suggest? That we have to operationalize our own reality and do not let others try to use whatever platforms to communicate to us what we should be debating over. That's the critical issue to me. As I said, for the, for Stephen Jackson pain, none of us can, we know right now, if something happened to Drew, what that pain would mean for Kate. If something happened to Kate, what that pain would mean for Drew. I can't even begin to think about, my three best friends in the whole world, if either one of those three brothers were lost, because they like brothers to me, right. what, what my position would be if they lost their lives the way George Floyd did. I do know this, that, and I hope this message you all can brand better, is that we should always understand thinkers, mm-hmm. even if we don't understand what they're thinking about. Mm. To me, Brother Kyrie is a thinker. Jeez. And because he's a thinker, even if you disagree with him, at least understand what he's thinking about. The critical question that I always hope we do when we're talking about our strategies is that we never go the route of debating over, is it Malcolm's way or is it Martin's way? Because both of them got assassinated. Right. <laughs> right. Okay? Right. Let's, let's, let's just, let's be real with it. Yeah. Martin was assassinated in 68. Malcolm was assassinated in 65. Regardless of what anyone comes along and say about, well, you should, the strategy of one over the strategy of the other. Right. You killed both of them. Killed both of them.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. The results were the same. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah. Uh. So you know, we we are, we're definitely we're like here now. As far as like the guys are reporting back, even college athletes are reporting back. What suggestion would you have for athletes who kind of seek to continue, you know, to be on that forefront of the social justice movement, right? You know, what what strategic priorities do they need to kind of keep in mind as you know they're they want to kind of make that stand, but at the same time. You know, you could you could blink at somebody right now and catch the virus. <laughs>
1: so it's kind of like, what would you? What do you do? I, I like I like I like how you put that, brother Drew. That's about <laughs> 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 when I listen to you. all's podcast. One of the things that I've, I've gained with the episodes I've listened to is that you have have a great synergy, and there's a synergistic value to your question. Primarily, the synergy needed to keep the cause going is about making sure you authentically are aware constantly that if you are a student athlete returning to campus, one, you are locked in to the fact that you're more than an athlete. (laughs) You already know you're more than a student. And only those of us, and particularly those of you who are on scholarship, understand just what that means. However, strategy number one, I believe, ought to be a voter registration day where all of the student athletes show the evidence to everyone of their being registered. Number two, not just registered to vote but a registered independent. Now, I'm going on record saying that to me, that's the strategy that I do not believe, and I know there may be flack from this, but I'm being honest with you. I do not believe, as we move into this next era, that your generation, in particular, should be owned by either political party. Because let's be realistic. You vote however you choose, but I hope it's by the platform presented by whoever is running. Because at the end of the day, there may be those who become active in one party or the other, but I fundamentally, strategically, one of the advantages of your generation should be that the political party system does not own you are know how you're going to vote, which means they have to authentically come with a platform before you that you can check off on. that you know what your aspirations are, you know what's going to face you in the next several years. So what is the platform that you have now and in the future? We know what you both have done in the past. So, so that's number one. The next strategic priority, I believe, for all of those of you who are able to be, to have the respect of the young brothers and sisters who are student athletes, is realistically make sure that there is that, what I call that hour of power, where literally just like people put on their headset or put on whatever, their ear pods or whatever, to listen to their favorite music, to get hyped up, that somehow, some way, you all identify episodes of things that you believe are consciousness uh, consciousness awakening. For example, one of the shows that I find to be very compelling that maybe a lot of young athletes, because they may or may not have cable or may not have access, should literally tune into is is All the Smoke with Matt Barnes. Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing piece. Absolutely. I believe another one is truly the shop. I think that there should be an appeal to both of those brothers, uh, b- both of the producers are their, their communication contact, to say, hey, look, we want to have the list of these episodes available. And those people who are the supporters, if you're working with student athletes, are just students who want to remain there are various episodes that you can use to say, hey, let's check this out and let's rap about this episode. Yep. Am I making sense? And not that you all don't have to be humble. You should do the same with your own. Yeah. Because part of you know those who are coming behind you better than I. I had this conversation with my son. The more, most important thing is you have to be fluid, you have to be in tune, and you have to be very much able to stream the message that you want heard. Right. Because we're not talking about a generation, for the most part, who's going to be sitting in front of a TV. Right. So, so, So there are different things that I think you have to do in making sure the awareness is done. But the last part of it is something that maybe it might be a little old school. But I don't think that anybody in our community should go in their uh, young adult lifehood without reading the miseducation of the negro by carter g Woodson. Mm. it should be it should be a part of the required reading as you enter into adulthood as nursery rhymes were often put in our, put in front of us as kids <laughs> yeah because as you grow older we should hopefully not say that i can read the miseducation of the negro today which was which was put out in 1933, approximately, and there are still truths in it. Is that that making sense? Absolutely. And absolutely, without question, the last and most significant thing that I hope you all, in your generational zeal and your brilliance, will be able to do is to constantly have PSAs that deliver short messages where you take a list of folks that you respect to say boom here is a topic statement give me two give me 2 minutes or give me 1 minute just like they have psas on tv about everything including remember how as you as you all grew up the movement against smoking mm-hmm. and its effect of cancer you all grew up with that right in your Group. Think about it how right. that PSA now I'm not suggesting it did or did not impact whether you made the choice But right. I ask you all how did it impact your thinking about smoking even if you had Parents or family members who were smokers. How did it impact you? I'm asking.
0: I, I never picked up a cigarette And I'll tell you what's even crazier. Is, do you remember dare?
1: Yes, indeed
0: <laughs> I remember back in elementary people he remember drew they had the dare
2: t-shirts on <laughs> everywhere Man, had to, I had to, you had the D.A.R.E. t-shirts, but I'm going to go a little deeper for y'all, man. I used to see homemade hot plates in my house, and so I was like, yeah, I don't want no parts of that. You okay. about the on drugs? Yeah, you know, I had a, I had a, a, a live-in gator from daggone uh, jungle. <laughs> I ain't, ain't
1: want to go down that road at all. I <laughs> do. And my brother, and, and believe <laughs> you me that 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 there is the point. So when you have when you have a living PSA about do's and do not, it, it has it, it has a sub subconscious impact on where how you move. Do you think that the 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 powers that be that, that come up with advertisements don't understand the immediate and longitudinal impact? of how you package an image i'll give you a most recent the other night the bet awards were on Mm -hmm. um and they had it via zoom i was broadcasting i believe it was through cbs Mm -hmm. but what what was so powerful to me i don't know if they considered a commercial or a psa but what was very powerful to me if you go back and you look at it P and G, I believe, is Procter and Gamble, they had some powerful little skits or PSAs about having the talk and about systematically doing away with stereotypes. One of them in particular, if you can go and get it, it really faced how this black man, I think he had a hoodie on, he was with this little boy and how he was being looked at in the streets or whatever. And finally, they showed. Where it turns out they they went to the courtroom in the, in the clip, and he was a judge
0: yeah I've seen
1: that we they showed the, that in this training yeah. I was in yep okay that's what I'm talking about yeah. if a major corporation could take the time, even if they were a sponsor or whatever is the official term, for the programming of that particular BET award, if that can be done in this environment where social consciousness is allowable per se, uh, a shout out in all respect to Colin Kaepernick, um, you can't tell me that we cannot do that strategically every day on every college campus for not only our people, but for, for the whites, the Asians, Latinos, and others who say they stand with us for the eradication of systematic oppression. right? That, that's what I believe needs to happen.
0: Yeah.
1: It doesn't have to be a lecture or a conversation like we're having. Clips, that literally speaking, with the streaming that the generation does now, why can't there be more, more pieces like that? <laughs> Right,
0: and I think, I think to that point, I think that's why, uh, to your point earlier, we applaud like LeBron James, for instance. I, I, I forgot the, who he just signed with, but it's a production company and they're about to produce all of these documentaries and he's already put out some great work and, and all these, you know, he's the definition of trying to control the narrative, right? And so I Absolutely. think as people like him who have so much influence and power, you know, make these major deals and are able to get, you know, behind the camera and to have total autonomy on what's being produced and, and the imagery and how we see or view a black woman or black man is more than an athlete or is more than just the, their skin tone. I think that's the point. And I mean, social media streaming, that's where this generation is. And they're not going to spend a lot of time reading. They're not going to spend a lot <laughs> of time watching TV. Like you said, but if you can get something into a, a three to six minute clip and make it impactful, I, I think, I think that's just the way to go. And, and infusing all of that into some curriculum or educational, you know, outreach um, is definitely the way to go.
1: Well, to your point, um, Dr. Capel and, and, and I, I Dr. Drew, I, I want you to know that um, what you're doing is a, Part of that narrative, and and I, I I have to make sure that I reinstate that what you're doing is so important. I follow you. I'm a fan of your show, and I'm honored to, that you um, have allowed me an opportunity to come out of my self-imposed um, isolation. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time I've spoken publicly outside of my 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 doctoral students about any of these things in my family, because. A lot of times when everybody is chattering, very few people are listening. Mm -hmm. And we need the voices out there. But since you mentioned, as you know, you know, I don't know if you know Drew. Y'all know how much I love that brother, um, LeBron. And it's, I love what he represents. And I've said before, and I'll say it again, if he never picks up another basketball in his life, (laughs) I will give him the Jim Brown and um, Muhammad Ali Award of of, um, athletic consciousness. That's what I call it. Um, Because what I have found more than anything, and, and Kate, we've talked about this, is that so often his willingness and ability to surround himself with people he trusts has been in the past, in my lifetime, has been ridiculed by much of the major sources that basically you take a brother away from his, his core brotherhood or sisterhood. And that's another part of what I'm saying about the narrative, about controlling the narrative of your being able to do what the two of you all have done. You struck up a relationship when it mattered at a time of your evolution that you've taken not only to education, but to a platform that's needed. And we need to support and endorse every situation where young brothers and sisters are doing this. Because it's time for the folks in my era to be there, but not necessarily have to be out front. I'm not at that place in life where I need to be in front of anything other than not being last in a road race. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> right. So it is a question that, you know, we we talked about this, but I, I think your perspective is is uh interesting and I I know the answer, but I want you to elaborate. But do you think five-star athletes should attend, should attend HBCUs? And if so, why? Woo! And I mean black five-star athletes, obviously, but let me just okay. click. <laughs> okay.
1: Let me say this, and you have, as you know, your, your dissertation set a platform that is important, and you have currently brothers following you and sisters who are doing studies, which for, for me, the rest of my productive life, I'd like to have funded a, a research academy that does this type of research on the black athlete um, on multiple fronts. Um, that's, that's my vision. And as you know, I am a 100% HBCU graduate, bachelor's degree with a double major, master's degree, and doctoral degree, all from HBCUs, and private and public. So my perspective on on this question is, first of all, rooted in in, an unapologetic supporter of HBCUs, even when sometimes decisions we make, I question, because of whatever the circumstances are. But the question that you ask is, yes, and. Yes, black athletes should come um, to HB, and the boards of trustees and the leadership at HBCUs, which is going back now, circling back to the far, why the faculty athletic representative is so important. I believe that most important of all, we should make sure that as alums and as supporters because see i don't think you have to have graduated from an hbcu to support Mm one i do believe that the support of the five-star athlete coming to hbcus will change the narrative of even how the ncaa will behave
0: Mm.
1: if we make sure we behave when the athletes get there and those athletes are able to compete on the platform, particularly as we look at the NCAA tournament in particular. I was rooting I root for central A T central when they're when they're playing in any other of the HBCUs from the conferences that produce um, a a bid or get a bid. But I've always found it, you know I've always said is it a conspiracy that that when the HBCU gets a bid is 16 <laughs> <laughs> That, that's, that's a quasi joke, but I do go, hmm. Anyway, the the question of, of yes and, the and has to be, in my view, an understanding of what is it the athlete expects that he or she will accomplish through the sport, what he or she will be getting in support systems as a result of going into the sport. In particular, when I say what he or she will be getting, not the so-called did you violate a rule. It is how the community says, wow, we're getting recruits who are considered the, the top recruits in the country. Now, let's make sure we fill up our smaller venues. (laughs) <laughs> to come out and support. You you, you follow and say? I'm putting some of this onus on us too. There right. are things that we must do. Be, then the other part of it is I think there needs to be a collective where the pro players who have these um voices with and also these media outlets, that there should be contracts that are made with those conferences where if the major outlets do not have a contract with them, hey, we can still put their games before the audience. Now, that, that one is one that I've had on my mind a long time since you were working on your doctorate. And, and, and Dr. Moffitt, and uh-huh. I, didn't,
0: I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah. you, you talked about Shannon Sharp. Didn't he graduate from Jackson
1: State, I want to say? Savannah State. Savannah In the, the S-I-A-C. Which right. again, that considered was considered now yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can remember we are by age fairly contemporary, right. but I there's an example of the fact that that um, and again, I, I respect that brother too. Uh, I love I love his realness, right. and the the reality of that point is. We have got to be willing, especially you young brothers who have been in PWI. See, this is what people want us to believe. That just because you went to a PWI, you can't support an HBCU. That's bullshit. Right. One of the most powerful images I have seen was Chris Paul wearing an HBCU T-shirt. When they had, remember when ESPN ran the little thing where they played horse? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's another, a shout out to that brother too. Right. Uh, I was, I, I just, I said, oh my gosh. This brother had on a t-shirt when he was on on camera that to me, the image of right. an having an HBCU on his just having the term hbcu on the shirt that speaks volumes right it speaks volumes
0: yeah and i and i'll say this too you know i I, you you read about players like and and, you know draymond Green. i love what what he does oh yeah carmelo one of my favorite just people of all time nba guys but you know you hear about them donating or building things at their alma maters, which is great. Like like there's a Carmelo uh Anthony uh center or whatever at Syracuse and Draymond Green I think just rebuilt or did something where they got a new weight room, whatever the facility was. But then I'm like, man, you know who could really use a new facility? It's Federal State <laughs> University. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Or 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 uh, other HGPU. Uh, uh, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. Very yeah. And I don't know but, if
0: they have donated. They may have, but I'm just yeah. saying, like to your point, you know, those guys are making millions of dollars and, and these HBCUs could definitely use scholarship money or, or funding for, you know, facilities or whatever. But um yeah, I, I agree with you more.
1: Yeah, and to Thank your guys. point, I, I think you and Drew can 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 appreciate this because you were student athletes at PWIs, and and I'm emphasizing that not to de-emphasize the power of your question, but to emphasize the importance of the message. The message being that the future of HBCUs, in my view, is going to be in you all's hands. Not my generation and older. Hopefully, many of us will leave a legacy of trying to, whether we are on the funding end the administrative end, on the faculty end. At the end of the day, the biggest thing I hope you, that, that you all can insist on is the assurance that you tie certain things, just like other people do, certain conditions to the money about things that you believe should happen. One of the things that you know I'm committed to, and, and, and that is seeing more of you all as Black men and women getting your doctorate to be on these campuses around the country right that's that's important that's a that's an important factor that should also be a part of this whole conversation about should five-star athletes go if i was right now talking to a parent i would ask i would say three things number one okay yes but i want you to know please make sure that you identify those those HBCUs that, A, have professors who are unabashedly willing to speak their consciousness into existence as well as a part of what they're teaching. And speaking it not to proselytize or hypnotize, but to ensure that you come alive in knowing who you are. Because we can't control what happens at, in any curriculum. But as Carter G. Woodson says, if you control, if you control what a man thinks, then you can control his actions. So that's another component of it is why you all are so important. And, and also, we as faculty members, in particular, our faculty administrators, we've got to be willing to accept a good critique of making sure that we do not take advantage of the student athlete that we enable them. I think every HBCU in particular, in my opinion, should come out supporting that that the image of black athletes, that they should be compensated when their image is used. I think it would be unconscionable of us, particularly if you get five-star athletes to start coming to HBCUs in mass, Mm. I just don't want us to be on the wrong side of history on that issue. And I'm sure there'll be those who disagree with me, that's fine, but let's have the discussion of of us, if we're going to say it's exploitation for PWIs to, to benefit financially from the athletic accomplishments of the black student athlete, then, damn it, we should be able to say the same wherever he or she goes. Right.
2: Mm.
1: Right.
2: And, you know, what advice would you give to, like, current student-athletes who are, you know, reporting back to campus right now? Because some, some schools, I think, like, Kansas State was all like, we're not coming back, we're not participating until y'all change these things. Mississippi mm-hmm. State was like, we're not coming back until you change the flag. Yes. Schools are having like, Clemson got like 47 cases of it, of COVID. And so how do you, how would you balance that? Like, okay, to make change, but also
1: just a health concern. Brother, I'm going to give you a short answer That Number one, it'll, I'll circle back to another question you all asked me. That's why it's important that the faculty athletic representative is an independent voice that comes from among the faculty. A faculty member who understands, who loves and is committed to students over sitting in the box or whatever of some of the perks may or may not be that thinks about the student's best interests first and is a true independent voice, as I understand from my experience being one that one should be. Who should be able to go to the president or the administration as an independent voice and advocate for what's in the best interest of the student? That's number one. Because at the end of the day, if you have a FAR that is even able to disagree, whether it's behind closed doors or not, but to con- be the conscious of the student athlete, there is an advocate that should not be messed with. Is that, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Because If you have a faculty athletic representative who fundamentally is student driven first, then he or she is going to balance. Okay. What's the bottom line of what this program is bringing in financially. However, what are we doing to make sure a that these student athletes are protected B this whole notion. I don't know where this case is going to go, but we need to watch. Are these student athletes being asked to sign some type of waiver <laughs> indicating that if they get sick or if they die, they can, their, their families cannot bring action against administration, et cetera? I have some real issues. I am not up on the latest facts on it. But to your point and to your question, those are some of the things that we need to collectively make a part of our strategy in this movement. Because there are enough of, of our people in our community and even our professional athletes who've spoken out against the NCAA's certain, certain way of handling things. And Jalen Rose, I got to give him a shout out. And all those brothers, conscious brothers and sisters who in this time I have not been able to state It's not because I don't watch you and applaud you, but I can't think of everyone. But Jalen Rose is one who I feel has been a very strong voice about what the NCAA does. So what I'm suggesting, not to mention what he does in his community in Detroit with school, I think it's going to be important that, stu- that student athletes like yourselves and others develop a manifesto of things that parents need to know to ensure they are not exploited and to ensure that they get a good good lawyer to go through and say, okay, if we're coming back, these are some things that, we need to be protected with and from. That's that's my position, because I don't want to be hypocritical and say that I believe there is a position that one could take for saying yes, play, and yes, don't play. But let's look at your Mississippi case, having, having parents from that state. May they rest in peace. Do you believe that that emblem for that flag would have been voted out of if there was not? a economic incentive to do away with that racist symbol. <laughs> I I would suggest, I don't believe it would have, because if not, why, would, why hasn't it been done before?
0: Exactly. Just like everything else, by the way. You know, it's almost like all this action is being taken and it's beautiful to see, but it's almost like, if we had the power, if you had the power all this time, Why didn't you do all of this before? Why did it take a man dying? Why did it take a man being murdered at the hands of police or in protests and burning buildings and rioting for this to happen? When we've been asking for all of this for decades Um, and it's it's all boils down to money because just like the Mississippi uh, situation, I think it was the quarterback that came out and just said that if this doesn't change, it's going to be a problem. (laughs)
2: And, and he oh, transferred. One of them transferred. Mm-hmm. So he didn't want to be associated with it.
1: Wonderful. See Wonderful. What saying? Wonderful. And, and, and again, we need to make sure that those voices, we don't have to wait anymore in you all's generation to write write books about those folks. We need to do, remember what I said, part of the strategy that I wanted to put out there. We need to be co- constructing our own little PSAs. Yeah. Those PSAs, what you're saying now, Brother Drew, the brother who is the quarterback at Blank transferred to Blank. Here is who he is. You, you see what I'm saying? We've got to do a better job of shouting out those warriors right. who make the sacrifice of being as LeBron and his, and his brothers and sisters around him are talking about being more than an athlete. Yeah. We need to make sure that we do a shout out for the young brothers and sisters who are playing, who, are, who want to play golf to know what Stephen Curry did in contributing money, I believe it was to Howard University to support their golf team. Yeah. You, you there are things that we need to do to celebrate. We need to develop a whole cadre of PSAs. Trust me when I tell you one thing that the image and voices that you hear that say the things that need to be said can be as powerful as those that say the things that don't matter mm. because the and the voice that is most ingrained in your soul is the image or voice that will define your actions
0: mm. that's tough, and you know. I- you know, you texted me something, and, and we're going to get out of here. We're going to close up soon. But you texted me something the other day about how being on the pod with with us um, and just the fact that we're three black men in higher education that just so happen to be former student athletes, but we all have important central roles on college campuses to this date, is, is powerful in the, in the sense of, you know, us being able to have a, a conversation about what's going on and, and sharing our stories and our truths on a platform where we don't know who's listening. Right. And even when me and Drew have have visited other college campuses and, and the way student athletes kind of, you know, spend extra time after we speak to them and, and, and wow. talk to us and just chop it up with us. Our, me and Drew always say we know we 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 know we connected if that happens, and it's always and it yeah. always happens. You know, it, yeah. it seems to fail is that student yeah. athletes come up to us and talk to us and just chop it up and laugh because you know at these the PWR the university they're at they don't see black people or black men in you know in in situations or. or uh, you know jobs or careers that they they can't they not even they never even thought about it. and so to see that right. walking talking breathing connecting gives them mm-hmm. some type of inspiration or motivation because I'm going to be honest me and Drew never I I never saw that outside of my professors and outside of you know a couple people I never the only only black people that I saw that weren't in my family or like I said professors were you know, athletes that, that I've connected with. And me and him are like, man, I wish, and this is not the brag on us. Like, man, I wish I would have saw a Drew when I was 18 to 22 years old. It would have changed right. my perspective on what I, what I could have become. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, I, I appreciate you so much, man, being on the show. I appreciate everything you've meant to me for the past, six years five years and um how we stay connected i, I know i'm in a different state now a different town and you know i i, I know we spent a lot of time together and like i said before you helped me me get over the hump man and um i am for forever in debt for that but i i just want to say you've always from day one been solid and and been truthful with me and um you know, I I, I just appreciate it. And your family, man, and you know, Narsed and and your family is is our family, and um, I can't thank you enough,
1: man, for everything you've done. Nah, well, whatever I've done is paying is paying back what the ancestors did for us, and um, I, I would like to say, Drew, it's it's an honor to finally have this time to chop it up virtually with you, because again, one of the grandest ideal of brotherhood and sisterhood to me is when someone speaks of you in your absence as though you are present. And um that's when when you first informed me of this podcast, it made me think about something that is you know, you know uh doctor cable that I constantly say to all of those who are coming behind you. And and Drew, I don't know if you realize it, but in the setting that um, that Julian left. Um, there are other black men and even black women who have chosen to do their research studies on the black athlete. And I want to make sure I give a shout out and on student just student support services and how important it is, and in particular being entrepreneurs with their. Chosen professional craft, and I want you all to please don't make the mistake that I made. And this is something going back to what I said and I said, and even to Nura. You do not have to give up personal wealth and independent financial security to be for the cause. If I don't leave any other message with you all. Be entrepreneurs. You don't have to sell your soul for the dollar, but you don't have to have a soul that doesn't have a dollar with you. OK? <laughs> uh, I, I want to be real about that. I, I will say it. I did not do the best job of pursuing whatever my gifts were for entrepreneurial activities in my youth. I was so committed to the cause. I wanted to teach. I wanted to coach and I wanted to make a difference in the community. But I am saying to you all that this platform you have, don't be afraid or ashamed to reach out, getting sponsors to pay you for this service. Mm. I'm saying this to you all and don't apologize for it because I know this, you are uncorruptible. And when you're uncorruptible, you can do business and still hold your head up and never have to look back. So I say it with all sincerity and thank you for giving me voice. Um as you know, um one of the people who looks up to you and this goes to show you about your impact in the doctoral program now from whence you graduated, um another Harriet Tubman kind of sister, um She has started her own business before she has finished. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, You know her. I know you do, Miss Allison Hunter. She has her own printing company where she prints t-shirts. I mean, one of the things that we have to remember also in closing you all. Never going back to how they try to get us to debate over positions instead of recognizing the value of both. That whole notion of there being a debate over the philosophy of W.E.B. Du Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, we need both. That's that's the only history lesson I'll leave about that. We need both perspectives. We need to be able to do something with our mind and be able to do something with our hands or with the technology. Most importantly, we need to be able to recognize that we form alliances just like everyone else to engage in in legitimate commerce to support the opportunity to hire people from our communities and give the light of hope to those who come after you. So please know that be better than I ever was because I believe you have the capacity to change the world as you're doing now.
0: Man, I appreciate that, man. And um, you know, like I said, man, you mean the world to me, and uh, I love you. And thanks for being on the show. Please, please tell your family I say hello, and I, I, I'll do the same. I'll make sure I, I'll send pops the direct link to this one, so so he can check it out. Um, but uh, tell
1: pops go easy on me. Tell brother Mitch go easy on me. I, 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 I promise you, I would be me. Now,
0: hey, <laughs> hey, and I appreciate. And look, last thing I'm gonna say. Is that Drew we got to add Dr. Moffitt to the Nike Run Chat to the to the Nike Run Challenge. <laughs> we're going we're going to add you. I'm I'm going to send you a link here in a minute.
1: Okay, now so y'all let, so y'all starting a July uh a July challenge?
0: Yeah, yeah, we we going we going to do a 65-mile one, but you know, go go for what you know, man. Don't don't hurt us too bad. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> Drew off the off we won't do it on the pod, but um it, make sure you ask him when when you all shut this down about um our little our little one mile run on campus one day. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I'll I'll make sure to let Drew know, man. But uh, you take care of yourself, and we'll be in touch, man. I right, love you, brothers Continue
1: right, project
2: Thanks, all man. Right. All right. See you later.